Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. This message is called, the series is Life Under the Sun, and the message is called The Redundancy of Life. Now, if you want to know what that word redundancy means, I'm going to give you the definition in just a moment, but I will tell you, don't Google it, because it's going to give you a completely different definition. I went back to my 1970s dictionary to find the definition that I'd always heard that redundant meant. And redundancy just talks about a superfluous repetition, a needless repetition. And so we're talking about the needless, the redundant repetition of life. Now as we started looking at this book of Ecclesiastes, the first thing we noted, it seems to be a very depressing book. Just on the surface, if you read it, you read it without Holy Spirit leadership, if you just sort of launched off into it, you'd say, my, oh my, why in the world would God put that in the Bible? Solomon says, vanity, a vanity's all is vanity. It's just all meaningless. It's just all useless. He said there's no value in wealth, but God gave him his wealth. He says there's no value in wisdom, but God is the one who had given him wisdom. And he says there's no value in all of our works. But remember how Solomon is looking at life. He's looking at life under the sun. In other words, he's looking at it from a purely human vantage point. He's forgetting that there's someone above the sun, okay? He's forgetting that there's a God and a heaven and eternity and all of those things. And he's just looking at life from a purely human attitude. And that's the way so many look at life today. Amen. I was watching a program just last night. And I won't tell you the name of it, but it was, it was dealing with psychopaths. And this young man who had killed his mother and intended to kill his sister and spoke of it in just a very calm, matter-of-fact way, he said that he had just grown tired of living. He hated life. He didn't want to live anymore. And he said, you know, if, if they want me to put me away and let me rot for a long time, that's fine. If Whatever they want to do to me, if they want to give me the death penalty, I don't care. And that's the way so many people are today about life. They just see life as valueless and, and they become tired of life. But here's the thing. We're also aware that God inspired through the Holy Spirit Solomon to write this book of Ecclesiastes. So there's a purpose for this book and there's a purpose that it is in our Bible. And you say, well, why when its contents seem on the surface so negative and so depressing? I think, among other things, it is a warning to us, folks. Again, Solomon wrote Proverbs and Song of Solomon probably during his earlier years when he was walking close to the Lord. 
Remember, he married the daughters of pagan kings who turned his heart away from God and turned his heart to idol worship and he got away from God for a period of time. And here's what God is teaching us through this book. I don't care how close you are to God right now. If you're not careful, you can get far away from God. You can get out into this world and you can become just like all those people that we look at in the world and say, my, my, how are they living that way and why isn't the Lord doing something about that? We can be one of those. We can be one of those church members who gets away from church and never comes back. You know, that can happen to us and that's what Solomon is telling us. I want you to hear the attitude of many people about life today. And this was a group of college students. They were in a contest about writing their definition of life. One said this, life is a joke that isn't even funny. That's a college student now. Another one said, life is a jail sentence you get for being born. These are young people. A third one said this, life is a disease to which the only cure is death. That is a younger generation, people who have their whole lives before them, and this is their outlook on life. You remember the author, Irma Bonbeck, she said this at one point, if life is a bowl of cherries, why do I always get the pits? And then, and I don't often quote Shakespeare <laughs> in a message, but I thought this was appropriate. He said this, out, out, brief candle, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is hurt no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury. So this Attitude toward life has existed not just today, but so many years back in time. And Ecclesiastes seems to be autobiographical by Solomon. It's sort of a memoir, an account of what he has learned from his futile attempt of life apart from God. And we would do well to study this book and not make the mistakes that Solomon made. G. Campbell Morgan, I quoted him last week, wrote, This man Solomon had been living through all these experiences under the sun, concerned with nothing above the sun. It is only as a man takes account of that which is over the sun, as well as that which is under the sun, that things under the sun are seen in their true light. You get what he's saying? Only as you take an account that there's a God in heaven, that there is an eternity. Only as you do that will you be able to look at life properly in this flesh. Amen. Ecclesiastes sounds like as you read it and look at some of these chapters, so it sounds like it's taken from today's newspaper. In chapter 4, the first three verses, we read about injustice to the poor. In chapter 5, we read about crooked politics. Right? Also in chapter 5, materialism. In chapter 8, he talked about guilty people because sentence is not carried out quickly, guilty people being allowed to commit more crime. And in chapter 10, he talked about incompetent leaders. It just sounds like it came right from today's newspaper. Forbes magazine devoted its 75th anniversary issue to a single topic. You know what that topic was? It was this, why we feel so bad when we have it so good. And they pointed out that Americans live better, and we do, than any other people upon the face of the earth. You may not think much of your house, but there are people that would give anything to live in your house. You may not think much about the meal you just ate, but there are people who would love to have that meal to fill their stomachs. I mean, we just have it better than most people in the world. And since we do, why are Americans so depressed? And I'll tell you why. It's because we look at life many times under the sun. 
and we forget to look at life above the sun. So Solomon determines that the vanity of living life under the sun can easily be seen, first of all, in what we call nature. He saw the redundancy of life in verses 4 through 8. You said, what are you talking about? Well, in verse 3, he's already said, what profit a man hath of all of his labor which he taketh under the sun? He's asked that question. And now in verse 4, he declares the truth of the redundancy of life, and of verse 3, is the same for every generation. You see what he says? He says, one generation passes away, and another generation comes on to replace it. But then that generation passes away. And another generation comes on to replace it. And that generation passes away. And another generation and just on and on and on. And as generations appear and pass into oblivion, the earth just keeps right on going. The earth just seems to continue. Jerome, the theologian Jerome said this, What is more vain than this vanity that the earth which was made for humans stays but humans themselves, the lords of the earth, suddenly dissolve into dust. We're just here, and we're gone. And the next generation comes along, and what we think is that the next generation is going to be better. Do you realize that every day in America, there are approximately 11,000 babies born in America? And every day in America, there are approximately 7,000 people who die and go into eternity. And so as the new generation comes along, as I said, we get this attitude. We start to think that this is the generation that's going to solve all of our problems. I grew up in what I call the hippie 60s, all right? And that generation was going to solve it all. It was going to end wars. It was going to feed the poor. It's going to, you know, the theme of that generation was just love everybody, right? And it seems like there's less love in the world than there was during that day. The generation comes along and it says, we're going to fix things. We're going to make things right. We're going to make the world a better place to live. We say our children are our future. And folks, they are. We need children and we need young people in this church learning about God and learning about the Word of God. But we say our children are our future. They're going to accomplish things that we would never accomplish. But you know what happens? The younger generation becomes the older generation. And before we know it, things continue as they were. In fact, that's what the scoffers in 2 Peter chapter 3 said. They said, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. They see no change upon this earth, and each generation ends up facing the same problems. I've told you before, when I was a young preacher... I tried to learn from what happened with Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Tried to learn from him. I didn't want to go to young preachers and ask advice and seek advice from them. I sought out older pastors, older preachers. I wanted their advice. I wanted their input. And then I turned around, and all of a sudden, I'm one of the older preachers, and there's not any older preachers to go to. Amen. Generation comes, and a generation goes. I got to thinking the other day, most of the preachers that I grew up listening to that I grew up enjoying to time just in their presence to learn from them. They're gone. They're gone to be with the Lord now. And there's a generation looking to our generation for that kind of leadership. Some have compared what Solomon says to being on a treadmill. You know, you can get on a treadmill and you can walk four or five miles. But I'll guarantee you, you're going to get off right where you got on. 
Every morning I go for a walk and I do my little walk and I get my mileage in. But you know what? I always end up right where I started. One generation comes and then it goes. You know what the purpose of a treadmill is? It is not to get you anywhere. It's just to expend energy. And here's the problem we have. We mistake movement for progress in our world today. We may have advanced in technology, but folks, mankind still has the same problems. Lust, greed, selfishness, sin. The generations that have come have not conquered that problem, and they have gone, and new generations have come. And so Solomon said one generation just follows another. But then in verse 5, he declares that the same lesson is taught by considering the sun. Look at what he says. He said the sun rises... And the sun sets. And the sun rises. <laughs> and the sun sets. You sort of get it, right? The sun rises and the sun sets. And then he says, after it sets, it hasteth to its place where it's supposed to be to rise again. You know, the sun never says, no, I think I'm going to. There was one occasion where the sun went backwards, all right? We read about that in the Old Testament, but the sun doesn't say, I think I'll go backwards for a while. It just keeps the same rotation. And even when skies are cloudy or when it's raining, do you know we still, they still list sunrise and sunset times? Why? Because if you get up above those clouds, you'll see the sun rising and you'll see the sun setting. But he says, even though the sun rises and sets and rises and sets and rises and sets, the heavens remain the same. The heavens just don't change. In reality, he says, nothing ever really gets settled it's just a continuation. To demonstrate that thought, in 1972, the Dallas Cowboys played in the Super Bowl, and they won the Super Bowl that year. And they had a player, some of you remember the name Dwayne Thomas. He played for the Cowboys. And after they won, Dwayne Thomas was asked this question, how does it feel to win the big one? And here was his answer. He said, if it's such a big game, why do they play another one next year? Nothing ever really gets settled. And most people today, many of God's people today, are so busy doing things that in eternity will not matter. In a few years, what we are so busy doing will not matter. Now you take that and you contrast it to this. You lead somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will matter. And it will have eternal and everlasting rewards. And here's somebody that was a child of the devil. They come to know Christ. They're saved. They're going to heaven with you. And they're able to lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. Next, Solomon turns to the wind. And he says, Look at the wind. The wind blows from the south. And the wind blows from the north. And it just is continually whirling. It is continually swirling around according to its circuits. He says the wind is in constant motion. You can look at a weather map and you can see isobars which indicate wind and, and wind direction and so forth. And you can look at the jet stream and you can see all of this. And it's just constantly in motion. Jesus said it this way, the wind bloweth where it listeth. It blows where it wants to. And he said, not only that, you, you can hear it, but you can't see it. And so mankind can't fully, I don't think, can fully understand 
the wind, attempting to make sense of this thing we call life. It's sort of like trying to make sense of the blowing of the wind. We can neither understand it nor can we make sense of it under the sun. You get people living under the sun and they wonder about life. You know, I, I've just, I thought about this as I was preparing this message. There are people, and I used to hear this, maybe this was uh, years gone by, but people used to say things like, well, I'm trying to find myself. Well, I never lost myself, so I didn't have to find myself, okay? I want to find out who I am. Well, I know who I am, okay? And I know whose I am. So I never had that problem, and I think it was because I was raised by parents who viewed life over the sun, taught that there is someone above the sun. We can't make sense of it. Let me give you an example of another football player. You'll recognize his name. At age 30, Tom Brady had already led his team to three Super Bowl victories. While being interviewed about his career and accomplishments, he commented that it felt like something was still lacking in his life. Now, this is the man that helped his team win the big one three times. And he said, well, there's something that's lacking. And he said this, and this is a quote, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it's all about, I think, and it's got to be more than this. I mean, this, isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. And then he added this, what's the answer? He said, I wish I knew. I love playing football and I love being a quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find out. Well, Mr. Brady, I can tell you what you need to find out. You need to find out that if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're a lost sinner and you need to be saved. And as a child of God, you need to get busy serving God. But what a powerful admission. A man who we would say, many would say, he has it all, he's done it all, and he makes this admission about living life under the sun, and the only answer is found in God. The only way to have an abundant life is to know Jesus. He said the thief comes only to steal and, and to kill and to destroy, but he said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Only Jesus offers the answer to the questions, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? You know Jesus and you know the answers to those questions and those questions are not answered by living under the sun. Amen. Then Solomon looked at the rivers. And he says, the rivers run into the sea, but the sea's not full. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we know at least 6,000 years of this earth's history, and for 6,000 years, the rivers have constantly been running into the oceans and into the seas on the earth, but it never fills up. Now, we know science has said, well, it's evaporation, and then the clouds form, and they dump the rain back. I thought about that, and I thought, well, God's the one who first taught us recycling, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he just takes the water from the oceans and he puts it in clouds and he moves it over the land and he cools it and the rain falls and there it is again. But the seas and the oceans, they never fill up. There are po folks today worrying. And I've seen headlines. I don't read stories. I read headlines about these things. But so worrying so much about, oh, the polar ice caps are melting. And one of these days, the west coast and all the coastlines are going to be flooded. 
They've forgotten at least two promises that God made. One of them is this. He said in Genesis chapter 9 verses 11 through 13, he would not cut off mankind with a flood of waters of rain ever again. But in Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 22, he also said this. He said, I have set the sand. Now he said, you better fear the one who did this. He said, I have set the sand as a boundary for the sea that the sea can't pass over it. Have you ever watched waves come in? Just stood on the ocean's edge and watched waves come in and they hit on the shore and then they go back out. The sand's still there. It hadn't washed away. The waves haven't flooded the land. Why is that? Because God set the sand, he says in his word, as a boundary for the sea. What Solomon is saying is no matter how much hard work we do, Nothing is ever fully finished and nothing is ever fully accomplished in our brief lives. That's the under the sun view. That's living life under the sun. By the way, I came up with what I call, I don't think I called it this on the slide, but I called the vicious circle of life. The vicious circle of life. Well, how does the vicious circle of life go? Well, why do we work? To earn money, right? We work, we have jobs to earn money. Well, why do we need money? Well, to buy food, okay? Well, why do we don't want food? Why do we want to eat? So I don't lose any strength. I can keep my strength. Well, why do you want to keep your strength? So I can work. It's a circle. It just keeps going round and round and round and round. And Solomon saw the redundancy of life. But he also sensed the redundancy of life. You look at verse 8. And what he says in verse 8 is this. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. When are you going to see so much that your eye says, I don't want to see anything else? Now, I've heard people say, I don't want to see anything like that again. Or people say, well, I've heard it all. No, you had not heard it all. You just think you've heard it all. The eye is never full. The ear is never full. But what he's saying is man cannot express how full of labor everything is and our senses are unsatisfied with the objects of them. We want to see more. See, in under the sun viewing, everything just appears like toil and burdens and wearisome beyond description. Life at best is a drag and at worst it's boring if you look at life under the sun. And no matter how much we see and no matter how much we hear, we are not satisfied. Many people, we just talked about two of them, but many people labor for success without the Lord. But when that success comes, they're living under the sun instead of under heaven, instead of under God, and they find it's, their life is often, just as Tom Brady did, often empty and meaningless. And they say, there's got to be more. There's got to be something else to life. You've all heard of the singer and actress Judy Garland. We know her best for, at least I do, for The Wizard of Oz and for the song Somewhere Under the Rainbow. And she had another one called I'm Always Chasing Rainbows. She died at age 47. She had a lot of fans that showered her with loving applause. But on June 22nd, 1969, she died. And even though suicide was not proven, she had tried to take her own life 20 times before. Megastar. 
tried to take her life 20 times before. She was married five times. She had three children and she used pills to settle her nerves. When she died, the headlines read, Judy has found the end of her rainbow. Judy didn't find the end of her rainbow because there's no evidence that she ever came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So Judy didn't find really the end of her rainbow. She probably viewed, if she was never saved, she probably viewed, and this is why I believe she was depressed and took her own life. She viewed life under the sun as Solomon did. But you know, if she had ever received Jesus Christ as Savior, she wouldn't have had to chase rainbows. She wouldn't have had to wonder about what's at the end of the rainbow. She could have had a totally different view of life. Life is full of meaning. Life is full of purpose. And I want to live for the Lord. And then Solomon stated in verses 9 through 11, the redundancy of life. Solomon says there's no new thing under the sun. When's the last time you saw something? Now be careful about saying you saw something new. See, we're surrounded in by and we're dependent upon modern marvels that science has provided. But do you realize that mankind can't create anything? Mankind can only take what is there and invent things out of things that already exist. There's nothing new under the, only God can create. Thomas Edison said that his inventions were only bringing out the secrets of nature and applying them for the happiness of man. This world provides nothing new. The world really is just, just full of the same old thing. It's full of repetition. That's redundancy. We may, again, say we've advanced in technology, but folks, all that advancement in technology hasn't done a thing for us as human beings. Man's not getting better. You know, evolutionists said man's evolving. Man's getting better. No, man is devolving. Man is declining. Today, instead of being in magazines, pornography is on the internet. It's available to even your children, my children, our grandchildren, folks. It's just right out there. Abortion isn't anything new. People act like it is. Abortion nothing new. Pagans, for centuries, killed babies, offered babies in sacrifice to sex gods just in hopes that they would have a better crop of boy babies in the year to come. So abortion isn't anything new. Sodomy, which seems to be a fad today. You want me to call it what it really is? Homosexuality, okay? Which seems to be a fad today is absolutely nothing new. It's thousands of years old. It was practiced in the city that it got its name from and God destroyed that city and her sister city, Gomorrah. And yet these things come along and people act like, wow, a new thing. We've got to try this new thing. We've got to hook in to this new fad. We've got to partake in this new fad. And there's nothing new under the sun. What is considered new is just a recombination. It's a repackaging. It's a renaming of the old. I heard a preacher say one time, and he's right. He said, there's no new sin. It's just the same old sin with a new name. Amen. Abortion sounds a lot better than murdering babies. Right? Alternate lifestyle sounds a lot better than sodomy. Right? So, I mean, you just rename it and it doesn't sound as bad. But listen, people say, well, there's nothing new. In the under the sun view, there's nothing new under the sun. Ah, but listen to what Jeremiah said about life 
above the sun in the book of Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 and 23. He said, it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Every morning the sun rises. And when the sun rises every morning, you know what it reminds us of? It reminds us of the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. He gave me another day. Sister Melanie often puts on her Facebook, she said, because I read it. She often puts on her Facebook something about thanking God for just waking up breathing, thanking God for another day. He gave me another day of life. It proves his faithfulness. And when we get up in the mornings, here's what from what Jeremiah says, here's what we can do. We can rise up in the mornings and we can rise in anticipation of the mercies that God is going to show us that day. God is faithful. Here's what Solomon is telling us in verse 11. He's saying this, the only thing we learn from history, you know the rest of it, is that we don't learn anything from history. I challenge you to take the time to do this. Examine the fall of the Roman Empire and then look at America today. We're going right down that road, folks. Almost as if we're following a script. I know that Rome worshiped pagan gods. And there are a lot of things different from Rome and America. But as far as what's happening, we're following that very same path. But here's what David said about what Solomon says in verse 11. There's no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those things that shall come after. David said it this way in the 49th Psalm, verses 11 and 12. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. I'm going to call this the Harris place and it's going to be known that way from now on. Now, if you've ever lived in the country, or if, and I know you hadn't pastored in the country, but I can tell you from pastoring in the country, pardon my grammar, it ain't that way. Well, you go down to the old Jones place, and you turn right, and you go down to the McGee place, and you turn left. The only problem is that Joneses hadn't lived there in 50 years, and neither had the McGees. And the mailboxes no longer say Jones and McGee. They got a totally different name on them. No, we call our lands after, well, this is mine. I'm going to put my name on it, and it's going to be my landmark from now on. And then one generation passes away, and another generation arises, and the names change, and suddenly we're forgotten. People think they found satisfaction that their posterity is going to celebrate their actions, that they are going to be remembered let me ask you this, how many people who were great in their days, who had great names in their days, are not remembered today? I'm going to throw out four names. I gave my wife this test and I told her, you can't answer tomorrow. <laughs> she got one of them, but she didn't have it exactly correct. But four names, all right? And this first one, I'm not real sure how to pronounce it. It's either King Bagot or King Bago. B-A-G-G-O-T. Anybody recognize that name? May Marsh. What about May Marsh? Warner Baxter? 
<laughs> Jennifer Jones. Mm -hmm. That's the one she got. King Bago or Bagot was the first individually publicized leading man in America. He was the most photographed man of his day. That was during the silent movie era. Mae Marsh was an actress with a career spanning over 50 years. Nobody remembers her today. Warner Baxter, an American actor known for his role as the Cisco Kid. Anybody remember the Cisco Kid? But he was Cisco Kid in the 1928 movie. He won Best Actor at the second Academy Awards, and nobody knows his name, or very few do. And then Jennifer Jones, an actress whose career spanned over five decades, nominated for an Oscar five times, including a win for Best Actress, as well as a Golden Globe Award. These were all stars in their days. Their names splashed across the headlines. Their names stood out. I said King was the most photographed man of his day. And yet today, forgotten. And that's what happens. Things and people we hold in high esteem, just like Solomon said, were not going to be remembered. I have, in talking to Joni about this, I said, I don't even remember who played in last year's Super Bowl, much less who won it. You know, people, oh, it's the Super Bowl. Well, big deal. You know, they'll play another one next year. If you miss this one, don't worry about it. Now, I repeat from last week's message, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Things and people may be forgotten in this world under the sun, but the things that are done in God's service are neither unknown nor forgotten by the one we serve. During his trials, we're going to close with this, talking about Job for a moment. But during his trials, and I think viewing life from a human standpoint, you remember what Job said in Job 14.1? He said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He said, you're not going to live long and you're going to have problems the whole time. This is life. This is the way Job was viewing life. What was going on in Job's life? Without explanation, God had allowed Satan to take away his family and take away his fortune and in essence take away his friends also. And Job just says, well, that's all it is. It's just a few days, and it's one problem after another. You may feel like that sometimes, okay? <laughs> it's all right if you do. It just means you're viewing life under the sun. And viewing life under the sun may see life as boring, uninteresting, futile. But living for Christ is filled with glad expectation it is filled with the hope of an eternity with him. It is filled with the hope of his coming. It is filled with the promise of rewards for faithful service to the Lord. And while life under the sun may lay up riches upon this earth, life with a heavenly view, as Jesus said, lays up wealth where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. You know, we have locks on our house. And I try to make sure they're all locked before we go to bed at night, before we leave the house. Why? Because somebody might come in and get my stuff. All right? But there's nobody that can touch what I've laid up in heaven. Amen. Somebody said you can't take it with you, and they're right. But I tell you what, you can send it on ahead. 
And we sang a few moments ago when we sang holy, holy, holy about casting our crowns before the Lord. Folks, live the life, serve the Lord, be faithful to him to store up those rewards in heaven because one of these days, Revelation 4, one of these days we're pictured in the four and 20 elders who take their crowns and put them at the feet of Jesus in honor and worship of him. Now you won't get that in life under the sun preaching and life under the sun teaching, but I tell you what, you get that from the word of God and from life over the sun and life under heaven.